what is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Well, we continue today with our series on the grace of Les Mis, connecting this classic novel and musical with the Christian season of Lent. We saw last week the powerful story of Jean Valjean, who struggled for much of his life. He was imprisoned for years after stealing a loaf of bread, then was transformed after the kind act of a priest. He experiences the undeserved grace of God and then learns over a lifetime how to share that same grace with others. Now we look at what happens when grace and justice collide. We are shifting our focus from Valjean to Javert, the the police officer who is constantly pursuing Valjean so he can put him in jail. Interestingly, Javert is no novice when it comes to life in prison. He was born in a prison as his parents served time in jail. But he chooses for himself the path of legalism, following the letter of the law. We'll hear more of his story as we move along, but let's pause to hear a snippet of his song, Javert's song from the play. It's called Stars, and again is performed by Kevin, our music director. Watch for hints of order and law from Javert's perspective. Let's hear now the song. With order and light, you are the sentinels, silent and sure, keeping watch in the night, keeping watch in the night. You know your place in the skies, you hold your course and your aim. And each in your season returns and returns And is always the same And if you fall as Lucifer fell You fall in flame And so it has been and so it is written On the doorways to paradise That those who falter and those who fall must pay the price. Kevin has a great voice. Maybe we should do a Broadway musical here at Grace just so we can hear Kevin sing more. Uh, anyways, we have a scripture to pair with this topic of the collision of grace and justice. This is taken from the Gospel of John. It is a text that comes marked with brackets because the oldest manuscripts of the Bible don't include this passage, but it certainly captures the heart of Jesus when it comes to grace and justice. The religious leaders are adamant that Jesus is not a prophet. From their view, he can't be. He was born in the wrong place, the northern part of Israel called Galilee. And yet his encounter with the religious leaders in this passage shows such wisdom He is clearly a prophet, if not so much more than that. This is Jesus confronted by these religious leaders with them trying to prove Jesus is not a prophet. We are going to hear from Stephanie, who recorded at home. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 8, 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. 
Now when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. And from Amos 5.24, But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in us a way to be both gracious and advocates for your justice. Show us the way, Lord, as we listen for your voice today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, it may be surprising to you that Javert, the main antagonist in the story of Les Mis, was raised in prison, and that he is the child of parents imprisoned by the French police. If anyone were to have sympathy for Valjean, who spent 19 years in prison for simply stealing a loaf of bread for his family, you'd think it would be Javert. But instead, we find that Javert is cold and calculating. He is relentless in his pursuit of Valjean, almost obsessed with finding him wherever he may run and putting him behind bars. We also see how unwavering he is in his view of others. Valjean is constantly called not by his name or his fake name. Instead, Javert calls him prisoner 24601. Imagine that for a moment. Someone will only refer to you by your prisoner number, by the thing that marks you as guilty and pushes other people in society away from you. He doesn't have to do this, but he chooses it because he knows it is destructive. It also reveals Javert's unwavering view of others. If you commit a crime, you are always a criminal. In Christian terms, we might say, if you sin, you are always a sinner. What I notice about this character is that Javert sees patterns even where there isn't one. He sees people that can never change their ways. He sees the impossibility of redemption for those that sin. So because of that, the only way he can see justice prevail is if people go to jail and people are punished for the wrong that they do. We see this play out in the story when Valjean is released from prison but is required to show people his yellow papers. They mark him as a former convict and is the reason no one will give him a job or a place to sleep even though he's willing to pay. This is one of those strange parts about justice. Javert thinks he is bringing justice by executing the law but the society is so broken that the law only makes the situation worse. When Valjean is able to make something of his life and bring good to the world, Javert can't see it. 
he is still just a prisoner to Javert. Valjean is a sinner that cannot be redeemed. Uh, We can have tunnel vision like that too. Our brains are designed to notice patterns around us. In general, this is really useful. We know what foods will make us healthy and which will make us sick. We can tell what routines make us feel good and develop habits around them. We can tell when somebody is happy with us or angry for something we did because these are patterns of human behavior. But we aren't always perfect at noticing patterns. Have you ever bought a new car and then started seeing the same model everywhere you go? Or have you had a new baby in the family and then you see baby items on sale literally every, uh, in every store you go in? There's actually a name for this. It's called Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Uh, the pattern was, uh, was there the whole time, but it wasn't very important to us before. So our brains just push it to the side. We didn't notice these things all around us because they didn't matter to us. But now that you need it, you start seeing it everywhere. Sometimes we do this with spiritual things. We start reading a book about a subject, and then a friend starts talking about it, and then we get a job offer in the same field. And we think to ourselves, oh, this must be God speaking to me. It all lines up. But that's not the Holy Spirit. That's our brain selecting out the things that are more important to us now. We are turning coincidence into a pattern. And that can lead us astray like it did Javert. He saw the pattern in people, in criminals, and he would not let go of it. They were always bad, and they could not change. It was a pattern he saw that was very wrong. Valjean proves that this is not true. He struggles to see himself as redeemed, yes, but in the end, he is able to be righteous despite the law, despite the broken society that he lives in. Valjean is made right with God by grace, not by justice as Javert sees it. Despite our sin and our brokenness, we are made right with God in the same way. This is very much in line with what we see in today's scripture, the story of the woman caught in adultery. To understand it, though, we have to take a step back to the Old Testament to understand the law given to ancient Israel. The verses in play here are Deuteronomy 22:22, which says, If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. And the other verse is Leviticus 20.10, which says more explicitly that both are to be put to death. Now, that probably sounds to us to be really harsh punishment. Even if the sin is wrong and destroys people's lives, killing someone over adultery probably seems overly severe to us. And actually, even back then, they thought this. In the Ten Commandments, it says don't commit adultery, but there is no named punishment for breaking the law. And then in Leviticus 18, it says, don't commit adultery or you will be thrown out of the land. The punishment wasn't death, it was banishment. I wonder if from the very beginning, the point was not kill off the people that do evil, but just make sure people aren't doing evil because it is destructive for your community. 
In our confirmation class this week, we were talking about uh, Valjean going to jail for years and years over stealing a loaf of bread. And I asked them, why do you think they would send somebody to jail for so long over stealing bread? And they were quick about it. They knew a severe punishment was meant as a deterrent. If the punishment was bad enough, less people would do it. And that's my sense with these more severe punishments in the Jewish law. It's meant as a deterrent. But we also know that these rules set up in Israel were actually better than the rules in the countries around them. These were more clear-cut, more equitable, and more beneficial to society as a whole. So from the beginning, we have a law that is pointing society in the right direction. Follow through on your vows. Be good to each other. Live for the good of your community. These are all very good things. Now, fast forward a thousand years to Jesus, and the world looks a little bit different. The law still says the same thing, death to those who commit adultery. And the religious leaders bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus to get his judgment. Should she die as the law says, or will Jesus let a a guilty woman off the hook? It's a trap because he either breaks Jewish laws, letting her free, or he breaks Roman law, demanding execution. Commentators have also noted over and over that only the woman is brought to Jesus. For some reason, the man who sinned is nowhere to be found. A clear injustice, if ever there was one. But anyways, what will Jesus do? Will he follow the Jewish law, or will he let her go free? And Jesus bends down and writes in the sand. I really appreciate that detail. I think it adds to the moment and helps describe just how difficult it is for us humans to weigh these two competing values. What takes precedence? We know God loves us, but we aren't any better as people and as a society if we don't follow the rules. If it's a free-for-all, eventually we are all just going to destroy each other. But Jesus, he points the way forward. Jesus regularly points to improving and deepening the law. In Matthew 5, he says, You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you are even angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. A little later, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. Turn the other cheek. He is saying the point was never the law and the punishment. The point is abundant life. That's John 10.10. The point is to be perfect like God, which he says just a little later in Matthew 5.48. The way we get there is not to seek out everyone's sins so we can punish them. We get there through grace that shows love even when someone does wrong, even when someone wrongs us. So what does he do regarding this woman caught in sin? He tells them, okay, you want justice? Let's have real authentic justice here. Justice is only properly given out by those who have never broken the law. So if you are sinless, go ahead and throw the first stone. Now, the elders here, they're the wise ones. 
they know that even the most pious of Jews had committed sin. No one is perfect. No one is worthy to pass judgment. Only God alone has the power to judge or to forgive someone's sins. And as they walk away, one by one, no one is left to condemn this woman. And Jesus does what only God alone can do, and he forgives her sin. Now this doesn't sit well with those of us that like the law, that like clear boundaries for right and wrong. Doesn't Jesus understand how destructive adultery can be? Why would he just forgive her? But life is full of these difficult choices, of competing values, and we need to decide which of them takes precedence. And Jesus reminds us that forgiveness here is a higher value than condemnation. It's like the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor and theologian who was imprisoned for defying Nazi Germany. He says, when we elevate the law to principles, it leads us to tell the truth to a murderer pursuing our friend. If we have to answer honestly, he says, self-righteousness of conscience has escalated into blasphemous recklessness and become an impediment to responsible action. He's saying, come on, don't tell the truth when it leads to an innocent person's death. Obviously, we have to weigh truth against truth and decide what is most important. The law was never meant to save us. Only God can do that. And God has chosen to save us by grace. In the story of Lemiz, we see the police officer Javert trying to exact the punishment of the law on Valjean with not even a hint of grace. He pursues Valjean to where the rebellion is taking place. We talked about this last week as Valjean rescues Marius, but there is another dramatic moment that takes place just before that one. The French rebels have barricaded themselves in a, a small quarter of the city, waiting for the French people to rise up and join them in the fight against oppression, systemic injustice, and the reign of an evil king. Javert decides to go undercover. He puts on a disguise to pretend to be on the side of liberation, but the rebels can't be fooled. They quickly discover they have a spy among them, and Javert is tied up. His relentless pursuit of Valjean has led him here, and now he will be executed by the rebels. They let Valjean be the one to pull the trigger. So Valjean leads his lifelong enemy out a side door, and in a tense moment, he pulls out a knife, and he cuts his ropes to let him go free. Javert is beside himself. He, he doesn't understand. Why would he do this? He sings, Once a thief, forever a thief. What you want, you always steal. And he tells Valjean, Shoot me now, because if you don't, I will hunt you down. But Valjean is not moved. He says, you are wrong. I'm no worse than any other man. There are no conditions on me letting you go. I don't hold anything against you. You simply did your duty, and now you are free. 
And with the final word, Valjean tells Javert his home address so that he can come find him and put him in jail after the battle is over. Javert flees, but we see the effect it has on him. In his mind, there is no space for grace. It can only be the law. Valjean and Javert soon meet again, and Valjean asks for the smallest bit of mercy for him to take the dying boy Marius to safety so he can receive the medical care he needs. Javert says, yes. Then Valjean asks to see his daughter one last time, and Javert again says, yes. But as Valjean talks to his daughter, Javert walks to a bridge and contemplates his life, his commitment to the law and not to grace. He sees how he is Uh, how that has led him astray, and that people do change. Grace can allow people to grow, to become who God meant them to be. And so Javert decides he has been on the wrong side too long, and he throws his life away. Praise God, we don't have to respond like that. We can still choose grace. God's grace is big enough to free us from our condemnation under the law and our own compulsive need for order and control. We can choose this Lent to recalibrate our lives to God's grace and God's law. Let us be wise enough to see that we don't see everything. And that God's call on our lives is to do the best we can with the competing values before us. When grace and the law collide, let us be like Jesus, choosing abundant life. Let us prioritize God's love so that all might know the true justice of God. Grace for all. Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.